Pastor Xavier Reese with today's simple truth about the way that seems right to a man. Good intentions can have bad consequences. Sin has lasting consequences and far-reaching effects further than we ever can imagine. Christians do make their life difficult. The sin way back there didn't seem so bad, but as the ripples have gone out, they have compounded and have become really severe. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The book of Philippians tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And though few Christians would deny this truth, it's altogether different when it comes to putting this principle into practice. Well, today, Pastor Xavier sheds some light on what happens when we take our eyes off the Lord and put our trust in our own ingenuity with a study aptly titled, Please Don't Try to Help God. Have you ever become impatient and felt that you had to help God to accomplish and fulfill what He had promised that He would do? It is an easy trap to fall into. And Sarai and Abram are a perfect example to remind us of the carnal consequences of such a mindset. The account of the birth of Ishmael unfolds for us in a threefold movement here in chapter 16. Let me read. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave you my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as, as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of waters in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahoiroi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. 
The birth of Ishmael unfolds for us in three simple movements. First, the faithless suggestion of Sarai created greater problems. And notice, secondly, we have the faithful intervention of God. This is the only hope we have. <laughs> Look at verse 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord encounters Hagar in her misery. The location is declared. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of waters in the wilderness, by the spring of the way to Shur. The angel of the Lord here is a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ before the incarnation. John 1, 18 and 19 tells us that very, very clear. Now, the wilderness is the Negev on the way to Egypt here, great distance from Hebron where Abraham was living. The fountains of water is very important. Uh, God's stories revolve around wells and, and water and all that. The woman of Samaria uh, that Jesus ministered unto, uh, uh, Eliezer goes and gets the bride of Isaac at the well and all of this. And water, interesting, it's symbolic of the word and cleansing us. And, and we know that water is the one thing that mixes with everything except for oil. And it's needful for our bodies. In fact, we're made up basically of water, very little dirt. And if you puncture a hole, we become a big mud ball. That's all we are, okay? So we don't get too puffed up. Now notice in verse 8, the complaint of Hagar is declared to God. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar's identity is affirmed by God, handmade. The inquiry was not to inquire knowledge, as you know, but to draw confession from her. This again parallels Adam and Cain. Where are you, Adam? God didn't want to find out if he was behind a tree. Cain, where's your brother Abel? Confession. She says, I am fleeing, notice, from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Hagar only answers the first question, not the second. The angel of the Lord then commands Hagar to obey despite her misery, 9 and 10. Listen, despite her misery, he commands her to obey. This is very important. The command of God to Hagar may seem to be unfair. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. God let Hagar know her true position. She's a servant of Sarai. This was not an option this was an imperative command. Notice the command of God to Hagar may seem intolerable also. You say, I can't believe a God like this. I'm not going to do it. Well, okay. You think that God is kind of biting his nails up there because you don't believe and you don't want to do? Mm -mm. Hagar was to be compliant to Sarai and submit yourself under her hand. Whoa, do you know what you're asking? God says, I sure do. The word submit is the same as in verse 6, but translated there harshly. The word is ana. In the particular context here, it simply means to become low, downcast, or to humble oneself and endure the suffering. How can God ask that? Because he will enable you. If he speaks to you very personally to submit to that, then he will enable you. To be unfair and unjust would be he would call you to do it and not enable you. But if he calls you, he enables you. So he can't be unfair. He can't be unjust. Very important. So Hagar was to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord. Under very difficult circumstances, under the command, 
comes the enabling of God. Notice the promise of God that Hagar was encouraging. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. The same phrase was uttered to Eve for her childbearing pains. Multiply, but in the negative. Here, it is in the positive. As Abraham would be multiplied, so now he gives this promise to her. Wow. The promise is affirmed by describing the inability to number them. In this miserable position, do you know how encouraging it is to Hagar at this point? God is faithful in the midst of our misery and suffering. Situations that at times even we bring on ourselves, let alone the ones that he brings to us. Notice in verse 11 and 12, the angel of the Lord prophesied that Hagar's misery will not be forever. Oh, don't miss that. Because if you find yourself, oh, those guys want me to live like this forever. Uh, wah, wah, wah. Now, I do not mean to minimize the difficulty of your situation or mine at times through life. But what I'm saying is that whether God allows it or I have brought it upon myself, I need to look to God and not be trying to turn the tables and charge God. He says it's not going to be forever. Listen, verse 11. The prophecy of the birth of her son is declared. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with a child. Wow. This was not news to her. No, duh. How can this be encouraging? Easy. Listen. Most pregnancies did not come to full term in those days, as it does in third, country, third world countries today. That she would know that she is going to go through and have a child. What a joy at this point let alone a male in that culture. Wow. Now she has position and status. What a great comfort to Hagar. You shall call his name Ishmael. He is the first person to be ascribed the name before his birth. Ishmael means God will hear. There are several in Scripture whose names are given, Isaac, Samson, and many others. Hagar is the only woman in the Bible to receive such a promise directly from God. Notice, because the Lord has heard your affliction. God hates injustices. God responded to the mistreatment of Hagar. Now, Galatians is very clear, teaching that the children are two covenants, Hagar being from the earth, carnal, Sarai, Jerusalem from above. Isaac, the promised seed was Isaac, not Ishmael. Ishmael is mere religion. Notice in verse 12, the prophetic character of Hagar's son and descendants is described. He shall be a wild man. The onager is a sturdy animal of the desert to describe here, impossible to domesticate. Living in the freedom of a Bedouin lifestyle is the implication. Living under the sparse food of the desert. But his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him, it says. He would constantly be entering into fierce conflict with those traveling through, being the aggressor with great hostility. The suggestion is one of defiant attitude. 
in a way of life. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren, constantly fighting and in turmoil with his brethren. The history of the Arabs affirms this prophecy, evident of their blood, bloody history among themselves. The sin way back there didn't seem so bad, but as the ripples have gone out, they have compounded and have become really severe for the people of God, Israel. Good intentions can have bad consequences. Sin has lasting consequences and far-reaching effects further than we ever can imagine. Christians do make their life difficult. They cannot blame God. God will always encourage us in our desert miseries when we are all alone, if we will go to him. Too often we are looking to seek the help of man immediately and constantly, which is wrong. At times people attempt to blame others for their situation that they have created. God will give us a direction, the wisdom, or the peace that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds in perfect peace if we go to him. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God will command us in our misery to do what we do not want to hear, but we must obey it. If he does, remember that he will always enable us to accomplish the command. When he does, we are to do it as unto the Lord with great expectation to see how he will work things out. Not merely biting the bullet. The personal obedience and faith will make me more like Christ, less like me. That's always good, especially for other people. When you get discouraged, remember this verse, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Working in us. I have to yield. He will not work against my will. He will not force me to submit God in his love and grace will be sufficient for our misery. Therefore, it is wrong for a Christian to think that his misery will be forever. The consequences brought on by our own doing will not go away in every instance. Some are temporal. Others are lifelong. Your repentance guarantees your forgiveness and the grace of God to deal with with the situation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Perspective. The faithful intervention of God brought livable conditions. Didn't do away with the condition. Livable 
conditions. Notice it moves us to the faithful obedience of Hagar. That's the flip side. Verse 13 through 18. Look at verse 13. The proclamation of Hagar's submission to God is given. The woman Hagar gives God a name. Then she called the name of the Lord Yahweh who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. The mention of God seeing means that he cares and has compassion. That she could entrust herself to him in her situation. This is in faith. Hagar was praising God by the name for his intervention and deliverance, but also for revealing the future to her, bringing peace to her heart and hope. Hagar, being in relationship to Abram, was blessed because of Abram. Genesis 12, 3. Those that bless you, I'll bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. Whoa, what a connection. Don't miss the commentary of Hagar. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? The implication being her privilege of seeing God in a Christophany. The expression of astonishment is that she saw God and lived. <laughs> you think she was appreciative? Oh, yes. You think she was thankful? Yes. You think she had peace in her heart? Absolutely. Had her circumstance changed at all? No. She had changed because she had spent time with God. So the proclaiming of Hagar's submission to God. Notice next, the moralizing of Hagar's encounter with God in verse 14. The purpose was to honor God. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahoiroi, the well of the living one who sees, the one who gives life to all. The place was to remember God. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. You as a Christian and I should have many memorial spots through this land they go through. They put a stack of stones here. This is where we cross Jordan. Put a stack of stone here. Put this, put this, put this placard here. And you should have many of this in your life and mind where God met you, where there was nobody else. It was you and God, and he broke you. When you wrestle with the angel as Jacob, and he touched the hollow of your thigh. Things that you cried out, and you threatened God you were going to quit, and you said all oh, this and that, and you trusted God, and he changed you. And though you would not repeat those things for all the money in the world, you would not exchange that experience for all the money in the world because it made you more like him and less like you. Kadesh, the place where the children of Israel came and denied entering the land. Place of rebellion. Rebellion must be broken. If not, then it marks the beginning of the longest death march of Israel. It's a choice. Notice the celebrating of Hagar then in fulfillment of the revelation of God in verse 15 and 16. The joyous moment of the birth is recorded. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. The prophecy of God came true. She bore a son. The prophetic revelation was believed to be true by Abram. She must have gone back and told him. And he believed it. Why? Because here he names the son that God gave. The plan of Sarai to help out God was rejected. Ishmael is called the son of Abram and Hagar, not Sarai. Be careful of being in control and trying to contrive things. Abram is mentioned three times in these last two verses. He was the one God gave the promise to, not Sarai. He was alone responsible as the head, 
the priest of the home, he without doubt protected Hagar at this point during the remainder of the pregnancy. No one is exempt from temptation, people. Not you, certainly not I. God does not speak to Abraham or Abram for another 13 years, the first verse of the next chapter. 13 years of silence. I think that's the greater price that Abram paid. You remember Manasseh, the most evil king of Israel? He was taken to Babylon with hooks and bound with fetters, chains of bronze. And then he turned to God. Listen to the record, okay? Now when he was in affliction, he implored Yahweh his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord Yahweh was God, the most wicked king of Israel. And he called on the Lord in true repentance as he was in prison in Babylon. And God forgave him and restored him. Nothing could be undone. The most wicked king. But he was right with God. God is always waiting to hear our surrender and submissiveness to his will. Having gone to him. Having heard him. Having the good sense to obey him. Whatever the situation might be. First Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. Every person in Christ, regardless of the failure, can experience the celebration of God's faithfulness. To be forgiven and restored in the fellowship with God, confessing our sins, 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 2, 1. Guaranteed, forgiveness is never a question. You're forgiven immediately when there's genuine repentance. To be restored in the fellowship with the church if you have been excommunicated or asked to leave, showing godly repentance and evidence of that, then you should be embraced back in. 2 Corinthians 7.10. There are a few exceptions where that would be difficult to do, but for the most part it should be attempted. To know that there is no condemnation of sins that have been confessed and forgiven because you're in Christ Jesus. So if you've confessed them, Jesus has forgiven them. There's no condemnation, but it doesn't mean there's no consequences. Condemnation means they're forgiven. You don't have to feel bad about it, but the consequences remain. Make a distinction between the two. And also to know that there is no sin that Christ cannot forgive except the one you don't confess. But again, it doesn't mean there's no consequences. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The faithful obedience of Hagar proved God sufficient. Birth of Ishmael, Sarah's attempt to help God out because she got impatient has been revealed to us here through this threefold movement. The faithless suggestion of Sarai created great problems. The faithful intervention of God 
brought livable conditions. And the faithful obedience of Hagar proved God sufficient. You think you're in a situation that doesn't fit these principles? I don't think so. So I need to pay heed. Please don't try to help God. Pastor Xavier Reese and the consequences of trying things our own way. And you can pick up a copy of today's captivating Bible study, Please Don't Try to Help God. It's available on CD for just $4. Now this will also include what we heard the last time we were together as well. Now the title to ask for once again is, Please Don't Try to Help God. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Does God plan your destiny? Learn more when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 